are entering the Freedom Hut. Joe Biden's campaign is resurrected with a huge night on Super Tuesday. Also, Elizabeth Warren continues to be delusional. Bloomberg has some big news for you. It was a bad night for communism, a bad night for Bloomberg. We got that and more coming up on our Super Tuesday post show right now. This is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. America, great. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. What a night it was. You know... There's so much to go through here. We'll, we'll have some fun with it today because shattered assumptions, the truth of different campaigns finally revealed, and my maxim that nobody can predict the future, nobody really knows, certainly seems to be the case right now. Uh, let's let's just start with the um, very straightforward, big top-line news item that... Biden's campaign annihilated somehow the competition. And we'll get into why. There are reasons why this is. Annihilated the competition in the Super Tuesday states. Alabama, Biden wins 63% of the vote. Virginia, Biden, 53%. North Carolina, 43%. Tennessee, 41%. Arkansas, 40%. Oklahoma, 38%. Minnesota, 38%. Massachusetts, 33%. Texas, 33%. Bernie Sanders won. Vermont, Colorado, Utah, and eked out a victory. Well, it was about 10 percentage points over Biden in California. But... Look, the Biden campaign has got to be feeling pretty good right now. There's no there's no two ways about it. Uh, and there are some other candidates who really need to do some some searching, some soul searching, some campaign. Uh, we call it a after action report or a hot wash or whatever. It's uh, it's clear to the Bloomberg camp that this isn't going to work because Bloomberg is out. But I was going to win. I I had the little sushi rolls at all the events, and you know the, the tiny crab cakes with the aioli on top? They're so good. Why won't you vote for me? I had T-shirts, organic cotton T-shirts, given out at all my rallies. Why won't you vote for Minnie Mike? American Samoa stood on Bloomberg's side of this whole thing. So now we have a situation I think never before seen in American politics. In fact, I'm quite sure of that where American Samoa was the only electoral victory for a guy who spent $600 million of his own money on a presidential campaign. And, of course, Bloomberg is set to make, I think he makes, I, I don't even know what that, I mean, he, he, he will make, he could have continued spending at the rate he was spending. I think someone did an analysis of this that I saw last night. And just based on on compound interest, would still have more money next year than he had this year. So it really doesn't matter to him. That's what's so amazing about it. He could have just walked around slapping people across the face with $100 bills and giving them you know, wads of cash. It, it, it makes no difference to him. The guy has accumulated so much wealth. You would think that maybe that would help the Bernie Sanders campaign. But Bernie Sanders had a very disappointing night 
We'll get into Elizabeth Warren in just a moment. Elizabeth Warren. I, I, I'm starting to think Elizabeth Warren is an establishment figure now and pretending to be a progressive because of what she does to this race. But we, we will get into those details in just a moment. Look, let's give Joe Biden. And I know some of you are going to say, Buck, you've been saying it's not going to be Biden for months. Guys, I know. Give me a code red. I don't know what to tell you. I can't believe the Democrats are this are this dumb. Unless there's something terrible that happens to the country between now and Election Day. Uh, In a rational world, which we clearly do not live in, in a rational world, the 2020 election is a replay of 2020, but with an even weaker candidate with less reason to vote for him in Joe Biden than the Democrats had in Hillary Clinton. And the possibility of Bernie Sanders supporters really deciding that they've just had enough and they're going to stay home and they're not going to turn out for Joe Biden. So there's there's no reasonable, and remember, we're not in a reasonable era anymore. Things are crazy. There's no reasonable expectation that any of us should have that uh, Joe Biden will fare any better against Trump than Hillary Clinton did. But given how crazy, weak, and absurd the Democrat field is, they've decided to go with the most, quote, safe choice possible in 78-year-old ultra-politician Biden, who says bizarre things and really does seem like he is on the precipice of senility. And let's be honest, if he's not now, where will he be in three or four years? But that's that's the safest choice that they had they had to offer up. So, I, look, I know... I, it's not over yet, as the Bernie people will tell you, and we'll get it, but it's looking really bad for the Bernie crowd because the states that are left are, they're Biden country. So unless Bernie somehow is able to convince a lot of people in the, in the South and the industrial Midwest to vote for, for the socialist over Joe Biden, it doesn't look like it's going to happen. <clears throat> I mean, last night was the worst night for communism since a bunch of Germans were taking sledgehammers to a wall in Berlin. I mean, it was really, it was a thumping for communism, Marxism, Bernie Sandersism. Not a strong night at all. I, I really thought that Joe Biden, there's no way, he, he's such a clown, and he's just not, he's not up for this in any regard. But they, they've decided that he is just the vessel, and that this is the, de- the Democrat apparatus is safest using him as the vessel for their power grab against Trump, right? That that's what this is really about. He's not going to give inspiring speeches. He doesn't have, you know, he's not going to get anybody fired up. It's just he's not Trump. He's not Trump and he's a lifelong Democrat. So that's what they're going to go with here. I I can't believe that this is what the Democrats are going to do, but I I have to believe it because it looks like now you're at about a, a 75% likelihood that Joe Biden is going to have a plurality of delegates going into the convention. And does anyone really believe that they're going to have some backroom deal? Because the backroom deal is why Joe's in this position. I, I have to back up for a second because it sounds like, well, how could everyone have gotten? And look, I, I, I didn't see this Biden, uh, this Biden surge at the last minute. This is almost like a, uh, you know, um, this is like March Madness in politics. This is something of an October surprise. Uh, Nobody could have in March, nobody could have really seen this coming uh, because the expectation 
would be that people who have spent all this money and said they wanted to be president wouldn't drop out right before Super Tuesday. They'd want to see how they did. What we couldn't, what we didn't, I should say, we could have, but what I didn't account for beforehand, and, and really very few of my conservative uh, brothers and sisters did, is, by the way, you know, with all the coronavirus stuff out there right now, every time I, if I like touch my nose or my my beard or anything, I'm like, oh, shouldn't shouldn't do that, shouldn't do that. It's making me really paranoid. But we didn't think that there would be such, and this is what should have which should have been accounted for in this whole assessment process. We didn't think that there would be. Uh, this Prussian precision where Judge and Warren dropped out. I'm sorry, not Warren. Judge and Klobuchar. Whoops. Oh, don't confuse me with that other lady. Uh, Judge and Klobuchar dropped out right before Super Tuesday and through their support to Joe Biden just in time. It's not like they just dropped out. They dropped out. They went all in for Biden when they needed to, when it counted for him. It's it, if Bernie Sanders was able to run with the field as it was a week ago, everything that I had been saying would be true, which is that Bernie would have the delegate lead. And now you're talking about things getting really tight going into that Democrat convention in July, which is going to be here before you know it. But because you had the establishment able to get obedience right away from the Buddha judge and Warren campaigns about Buddha judge is going to run again. Buddha judge will be the Democrat candidate at some point in the future, maybe four, maybe eight years. Uh, he's there. They're getting him ready. They're building him for bigger things. Trust me on that one. Klobuchar, eh, I don't know, not so much. Klobuchar is not playing for being the anointed one as Buddha judge is within the DNC, within the establishment and the apparatus. Klobuchar's playing for what's she going to get in a Biden administration? You know, secretary of secretary of state, perhaps secretary of education. I don't know. I don't know what she wants. Probably not education, but she might think of herself as a secretary of state possibility. You know, something like that. That's hey, if somebody waved that in front of you and you had about a one in a hundred shot of becoming president or a 50-50 shot in your mind of being Secretary of State. I think a lot of people would... Trump saw it. He called it out. He said it's a quid pro quo. We know We know it was. Hey, quid pro quos are okay. Life runs on quid pro quos. QPQ. Everybody knows this. But, of course, in the Ukraine phone call fiasco, we were told, oh, the quid pro quo. So that's how we got to this point where Biden is now the nominee apparent. I mean, he's not definitely the nominee. It could still go to Bernie there. You know, hey, if we've learned anything, it's that nobody nobody can predict the future, which I tell you all the time. And then I like to make predictions anyway, because it's fun. But Biden seems like he's on a glide path. And then we'll get into what's the oppo against him. But ultimately, it was a it was a bad night for Marxism. Is that a good thing for the country or not? Uh, Given that we could have had a full-scale repudiation of it in a general election. It also would have, if Bernie Sanders had won, it would have tainted the Democratic Party for a long time. Now, I'm speaking about this as if it's done. I know it's not. But these are the dynamics that are at play right now. And now we have to get into what's going to come next. Uh, Clearly, the Trump administration's ability to handle this coronavirus uh, pandemic 
is I think we probably should just start using that word. I, I know people don't. It's not a pandemic in America yet, but it's a global pandemic. Uh, clearly, that's going to matter a lot. The economy is going to matter because if the pieces line up in a similar fashion to 2016, you got to figure with a strong economy and a strong record, Trump is looking really good. But Biden's resilience and endurance in the face of his own ineptitude, bizarre comments, and just lack of why. Why should Joe Biden be president? He's not impressive. He's not smart. He doesn't have a good track record. Why should he be president of the United States? Democrats just say he's a Democrat and he's not Trump. And is that going to be enough? You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Clubs have been knocked down, counted out, left behind. This is your campaign. Just a few days ago, the press and the pundits had declared the campaign dead. Well, that was because we assumed, many people, myself included, that the race would continue in an organic fashion and there wouldn't be deals brokered behind the scenes, pushed by the DNC, by the donor class. And, and that is obviously what happened here. Uh, there's no other reason why Judge and Klobuchar would drop out at the last minute. So interesting that they they think they learned, the Democrats think they learned the lesson of 2016. Oh, well, we if only the Republican establishment had been able to clear the field so that Ted Cruz would have been able to beat Donald Trump, then the good thing, Trump not winning, would have happened for the Republicans. They don't seem to understand that, no, actually allowing the process to play out where all the candidates were fighting it out till the end is what allowed us to get Donald Trump, who's a wildly popular among Republicans president, 95 percent of the party behind him, and has been able to deliver on a lot of major promises to the GOP. So the lesson they take is anything to stop Bernie when in 2016 it was a good thing that they that the GOP didn't take uh, anything to stop Trump. Uh, the DNC takes a different approach now. They say, okay, we we need to make sure that we don't have this outsider candidate who just comes in and, and steals our cookies, so to speak. So can't let him can't let him steal your cookies. Cookies are delicious. I don't know what maybe I'm I'm actually kind of hungry right now. Uh, Biden was knocked down uh, because he had a bunch of bad early early finishes in this race. He has come back very, very strong. Why is that? We, we should drill down into the why. And here's what Biden says about his reason for why he should be president of the United States. Bruce Mark, th- uh, clip three, please. We want a nominee who will beat Donald Trump. But also, also keep Nancy Pelosi the Speaker of the House. Win back the United States Senate. If that's what you want, join us. And if you want a nominee who's a Democrat, a lifelong Democrat, a proud Democrat, an Obama-Biden Democrat, join us. An Obama-Biden Democrat. Isn't that so interesting? This is, this is going to be the narrative. A return to the eight years of Obamaism. That's what Biden is saying that he will give you. Of course, we recall the Obama years were very good politically for Obama. 
very bad for the Democratic Party. Tea Party came out, uh, you know, wiped out the Democrat majority in, in the House. Eventually, Republicans took back the Senate. And even more, if you're looking at the numbers, even more noteworthy, the state houses and governorships that flipped red under Obama's years in office. People, Obama was a, a popular president, certainly among Democrats, and, and still has that perception more broadly, I think independents and moderates, you know, they still generally like Obama personally. But that never translated to wins for the Democratic Party. We'll see if it's different this time around with Biden as the Obama-Biden uh, Democrat, as he says. But you look down the list here. He's saying he's electable. That's been this. That has been the case from the beginning. It's actually why the polls were always showing nationally that Biden was the leading candidate among all this very crowded Democrat field of, of lunatics and maniacs, Biden was the guy, right? So they think he can win. Therefore, he should be the he should be Donald Trump's opponent. And that's a self-fulfilling prophecy. We'll see if it's true. Uh, down ballot. Clearly, people had their concerns about that. The down ballot ticket, how how it would affect House races, Senate races. If you had Sanders, the socialist atop the ticket, that's an experiment that we've never run before, but the general consensus is that it would be bad for Democrats if, in fact, you had Sanders at the top of that ticket. And a Democrat, not a socialist. It's a good line. It's a good line. It's somewhat remarkable that Bernie Sanders got as far as he did in this process. And I will tell you right now, there will be a socialist candidate on the Democrat ticket. The momentum is all in that direction. We are heading in that direction. Especially if you have four more years of Donald Trump, the left is going to just go into fits of rage and mania, and they will do. There'll be such a, a push from the media, uh, from Hollywood, to have an even further left, younger, more inspirational, an Obama-like figure who pushes the country to socialism. That's what's coming. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's a good night, and it seems to be getting even better. They don't call Super Tuesday for nothing. By the way, this is my little sister, Valerie, and I'm Jill's husband. Oh, no, this is switched on me. This is my wife. This is my sister. They switched on me. That's a classic Biden moment. We've, we've played more classic Biden moments for you on this show. And the media has been covering for this guy for years and years. Uh, because of his association with Obama, they just, they, they made, and oh, look, it all season down. They cover for all Democrats, so I don't want to overstate this either. Any Democrat gets away with more, can say more, can be more of a buffoon without paying a price in the public's eye because of the way the media will always wrap it up and oh he's just being joe oh he's just being a cuddly old geezer joe blue collar joe riding the amtrak you know the whole thing i did appreciate uh tucker a few days ago in his monologue on fox because uh, i try to i watch tucker's show when i can a couple times a week usually and i saw that he was saying that Joe Biden, for all of his talk about the working man and the working class and the middle class, has uh, been a essentially like a water carrier for credit card companies for a long time. Um, credit card companies have engaged in some really shady. Pra- and this is I'm not I'm not putting on my Bernie Sanders hat here. I'm telling you the truth. Credit card companies have been very effective 
at getting legislation passed that gets their uh, you know, debt owed to them and the, the APR, the annual percentage rate and other things uh, that they can charge, very favorable for them, very unfavorable for you, the consumer. And the average credit card rate is about 25%, I think, on an annualized basis. That's enormous. And you cannot discharge those debts in bankruptcy, usually. Credit card debt's a lot harder now to discharge in bankruptcy court than it used to be. That's totally just, that's just lobbying. That's just people like Joe Biden making sure that if you go through a rough period without a job and you got to, a lot of times people, we always are told, oh, credit card debt, you know, don't buy the jet ski and go on the trip to the south of France and all this stuff. No, usually it's people putting stuff on there that are essentials, but they've run out of, the, you know, they, they don't have income. Um, they don't have paychecks coming in. But the credit card companies have done stuff that would, in a different context, people would go to prison for. This is true. They've, uh, in the past, engaged in a practice. And you'll, you won't hear about this. And we're all, oh, yeah, they're all these all-American companies. They've got great PR. They used to move around due dates intentionally so that people would miss their payment date. And then your introductory APR of like 9%, you know. 9.99999, you know, your introductory rate uh, would jump up to 30% right away. And all of a sudden now anything that you've, I mean, if you did that, if you tried that with the government, if you tried that in your business dealings, I'm going to change something intentionally without giving notice, or I'm, I'm going to do it in a way that's, that's intentionally fraudulent so that I can get more money from somebody in a transaction. They would call that fraud. You'd get into a lot of trouble. But Credit card companies got away with it. Oh, yeah, no, we just had to adjust because of our systems or blah, blah, blah. Joe Biden, go make sure that we have essentially a can't lose business going on here. You can't do, you know, we're going to get a great APR out of anybody that runs into trouble. And, you know, I, I always remember I got this was such crap. The first time I ever checked my um, checked my credit score. I was in my, you know, I was maybe 24, 25, that I went out and checked my own credit score. And it was, it was abysmal. It was absolutely abysmal. And I thought, I've never, I've never missed a, a intentionally or other, you know, I, 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 somebody always pays my bills on time, always pay my credit card down to zero. Now I'm giving like, yeah, I'm going to give you, who's that, uh, what's that guy? Uh, anyway, I'm going to give you financial advice, pay in cash, don't use, don't use credit cards, that guy. Do you want me to say his actual name? No, no, it's name? all right. It's okay. all right. But there, yeah. there's some people out there that give you that advice. I can give you that advice, too. I have a system. Pay cash. Don't use cards. There you go. So the uh, the, the reality is that I, I had this terrible credit rating. I mean, I wouldn't have even qualified for a um, a, a Fannie Mae-backed loan, I think. I, mean, I was like, I was in like the high 500s. It was not good. And I was like, how did this happen? And then I looked through my credit score, and there was one... I mean, a revolving charge that had ballooned from $5 to about $300 and hadn't been paid in like 18 months or something like that. And I remember I was like, what the heck is this? A $5, like a fi everything else was perfectly, perfectly fine. And by the way, my credit score since then is magnifico. But, you know, the point is, I looked at this and I said, what is going on here? $5 charge, Capital One, I shut down a card with a $0 balance, and I moved. And Capital One sent to my, my home after I had moved. This is when I was living in D.C., working the CIA. They sent a $5, like, maintenance fee charge 
on a zero balance card that I had closed out. Now they would say, oh, it's, you know, we, we said somewhere in like your 30 page contract about the blah, blah, blah about this, that this is what we can do. I didn't get that $5 maintenance fee. And they jacked up uh, through interest payments on $5 that ended up being like $275 within you know 18 months, something like that, with all the penalties and everything else. A collection agency, which is, by the way, why I checked my credit score, a collection agency called me about this. And I'm like, what? And I dug through and I found this whole thing. Because at first I was like, what are you guys even talking? I don't owe any money in any cards. And I remember being on the phone with the credit card, credit card company saying, so you guys charged me $5 for nothing. For just just because you felt like it, I clearly didn't get it. You have my phone number. You have my email. You you no follow up whatsoever. Only one paper bill sent, and I'm sure maybe they sent a follow up bill to the wrong address. And you're getting a I can't even do the math on that return. You're getting a 50x return on your five dollars in 18 months. And I have now and my credit score. Now I'm an untrustworthy borrower because of this. Because if you Blankety blanking, blanking blanks. And they were kind of like, yeah, that's the system. Oh, wow. Oh, thank you. Credit. Anyway, now, you know, I mean, I, I, like I said, pay all your credit cards down to zero if you can. It's, you know, don't ever pay that APR. And you want to be on the right side of that system. And whatever you got to do, just do not run up. I, I've helped friends get out of credit card debt. Do not run up credit card debt. I mean, do, do whatever you got to do to not do that. I mean, that is the, they got to think of that as a last resort. It's a convenience. It's, they're not a lender. They're a convenience for you when you have money in the bank. They are not a lender when you don't have money unless you have, no, you know, borrow from your Aunt Ethel. Do whatever you got to do. Do not borrow from credit card companies. Uh, and Joe Biden, why I got off on this little rant, is that Joe Biden is a guy who was just, has always carried a water of the credit card companies. Why? Oh, because they all incorporate in Delaware because of the favorable favorable corporate status that the state of Delaware, this is how Delaware brings in businesses and, and revenue, right? So that's what, so Joe Biden's whole, oh, I'm out the working man and everything else, please. He's also worth tens of millions of dollars. The whole thing is absolutely ridiculous. So that's my, uh, my little bit of financial wisdom for you today. And as if Joe Biden wasn't a weak enough candidate for all the obvious reasons, he says things like this that he will not be challenged on by the mainstream media because now they're all they're all going to back him. Get ready for that. Anybody who was kind of like dabbling, playing a little footsie with Sanders, whoo, tickles. Anybody who's doing that, they're going to switch over to Biden. Uh, play 14, producer Mark. And I promise you, cures for cancer, yeah! Alzheimer's and diabetes. I promise you cures for cancer. Really? You can make that promise decades and decades, billions and billions of dollars going into this. But Joe Biden's going to come along and cure cancer. This is if you were coming up with a composite of the ultimate fraudulent politician. I mean, the guy that's just a phony, a fake, says whatever he has to say, you know, big grin, doesn't kiss babies in the head, but kind of sniffs them on the head. I don't know if you've seen that. Does a lot of weird stuff. And Joe Biden, in the Me Too era, by the way, do you think you're going to hear a lot about Joe Biden being a gropey, graspy grabber of behinds? Nope. That's going to just fade. 
That's not going to be important anymore. You're going to see the all of the dishonesty around Hillary. The media that tried to convince you that Hillary Clinton was not actually responsible for violating the Espionage Act over 100 times, which she was. That same media is now going to say that Joe Biden's uh, he's a great man with a great record and brilliant. And he's he's going to restore our sacred institutions. It's just going to be this this avalanche of talking. Books. No Medicare for all, by the way. No, 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 you know, no, no talk about the Green New Deal from him, really. You're not going to hear any of that, trust me. If he does, it's just going to be lip service, then he's going to move on to something else very quickly. He's All the stuff that the Democrats have been pretending they care about, that's going to fade to the side, and Biden just goes, I care about the middle class, helping people get health care, building on the Obama-Biden record. He is Obama term three. That is the entire pitch, and you're going to see a massive, an unrelenting effort around Biden trying to pull that pull that off for him, pull that together. This is just the apparatus. I mean, the same way that Hillary, and I keep saying, that, I like the word apparatus because it's useful. People would say the establishment, same thing really, although apparatus lends itself to apparatchik, like in the Soviet Union. Hillary was the apparatchik candidate, as is Biden. The choice of the people that make the decisions, and as we know, the decision makers in the DNC still matter. That's why Klobuchar and Buttigieg got out. So now we're going to see if they have the muscle, if they have the ability to just foist a deeply unimpressive candidate on us. Can they pull this off? Will they be able to make this happen? I hope the answer is no. I think the answer is no. But my friends, what have we all learned we fall down so we can learn to get back up. No, that's that's from that's from the butler from Batman. Bruce, why do we fall down? So we can learn to pick ourselves back up. Uh, that's that's not what I was going to say. We've learned that nobody can really predict the future. Nobody really knows what's going to happen here with Biden. It's kind of a wild situation that here we are right after Super Tuesday and Everyone's got to just rub their eyes a bit and say, whoa, okay. I guess the polls from six months ago were all we really had to see, which had Biden winning this thing. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Who would I like to win anybody? I'll take anybody I have to. That's the way it's going to work. Doesn't matter. No, I have. Uh, I really just, you know, we've done a great job. We have the strongest economy on earth. We uh, we've gone up, and you know, as you know, China's economy has been hurt very badly long before this. Uh, we've done a uh, a really good job, and I think people understand that. And I'm looking at polls that are very good. But you know, whoever it is, it is. We'll take them on. Trump's got the right attitude about it, and I I am looking forward to the Donald in his element, which is in the fight, in the fight against whomever the candidate may be against him, and in you know in the fight against the media. This this clip, by the way, has been surfacing the last twenty four hours. This is Katie Turr, who is one of the one of those reporters that MSNBC's decided to make a young star and. Anybody observing it would say, why exactly? Why is this happening? Here she is, or rather, here is Donald Trump. This is during the 2016 campaign, to be clear. But here's Donald Trump speaking to Katie Turr, an NBC reporter. Play 17. 
The Pew Research, which is independent, says... Don't be naive. You're a very naive person. <laughs> the Pew You're Research a... says that there are four... Immigrants on the whole create... Are, Come on, try getting it out. Try getting it out. I'll get it out. I mean, I don't know if you're going to put this on television, but you don't even know what you're talking about. Try getting it out. Go ahead. <laughs> I mean, look, you know, usually I'd say... You know, I don't like I don't like rudeness, but we all know that this, this, he understands what he's up against. These people, they're being rude because they're always coming at him pretending to be something they're not. They come at him as phonies, as fake news. They're pushing an agenda and they present themselves as, no, we're just here to let the American people make their own decisions. Like we're all a bunch of idiots. We know that's not what's going on. We know what the agenda of all these different journalists is. And I am looking forward to the president being able to do what he did before, which is run sure on his record and on the idiocy and the ineptitude of, well, I was going to say of the Democrats running against him. Now it's going to be one Democrat pretty, well, technically it won't be one Democrat until July, but I think we're all going to know here that it's either Bernie or Biden unless something really crazy happens. But this is going to show us that there's a, uh, there's no, Honesty whatsoever in the media. There's no introspection. There's no learning mechanism from 2016 for them. They will view this upcoming election. This is NBC, CBS, New York Times, Washington Post, and then all the, all the rest. I mean, that's kind of those are the flagship liberal media institutions. You know, ABC. They'll they'll view 2020 entirely as an opportunity not to do better. And not to make right what they, you know, all the trust they lost from Americans who were fair minded and observing, observing the way that they presented themselves in 2016, observing the bias and the activism under the guise of journalism. They're not going to say we're different now. We're going to do something else. We're going to try to cover this fairly. Their their opportunity, the, the mainstream media's opportunity in their eyes going to this election is going to be how do we get it right this time by making Trump lose. What else do we have to do? Remember the Billy Bush tape and, you know, Access Hollywood and all this stuff? I mean, we know, we know that they are all in the tank against Trump, no matter who the Democrat candidate is. I mean, you could resurrect Stalin from the grave and, you know, put a new, put a suit on him and say, hey, here's, here's the new Democrat candidate. And they'd say, yeah, better than Trump. Doesn't matter. Could be anybody. So this is going to be a test of their power in their minds, and they want to reestablish themselves. The, the mainstream media, the 90% of journalists that present information to the public, especially about anything politically related, uh, anything that's in the news cycle that's not, you know, the finance journalism, they want to reestablish the power that they think they've always, that they have honestly had for many, many decades up till now. And Trump is going to have to just roll up the sleeves and, and give it to them with more gusto than he ever has before. It will be very entertaining. I I just hope that he is successful in this process because I, I don't really want to be dealing with a country where we have another Democrat in office that the media, everyone knows is kind of a clown, uh, and, and yet they're all just going to prop him up the same. They're going to prop him up the same way they propped up Obama, the same way they propped up Bill Clinton. It's going to be the same thing all over again. And think they're speaking truth to power, too. That's what's going to be so amazing. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
All right, so we've done our Biden deep dive for today. What about the others? There's some other candidates still in the mix. Mayor Bloomberg no longer pour out some very, very expensive Veuve Clicquot paid for courtesy of the Bloomberg campaign in honor of the Bloomberg 2020 great race that they ran. He tried so hard. He really did. You know, he's just like, ugh, why do I have to do this and show up? I'm the only one with the record. I'm the only one with the skill set and a bajillion dollars. And yet you won't make me your mayor. Why? But he did win. He did win American Samoa. So he spent $600 million in one American Samoa. And that's pretty much it. Didn't didn't really didn't really get to a place uh, that he thought he would, where you had people saying that Bloomberg, based on just the amount of spending, was going to be in a position to be a top contender here and might even win on the Bloomberg strategy. Believe it or not, was that. This is what his and he has the highest, by the way, his consultants, Golf Clap, you guys, you guys ripped off a super wealthy old man by pretending that he had a real shot and putting out all these numbers and all this propaganda. And it was, you know, it seemed like maybe it could work. You got that much money. I mean, if you're if you're really going to be giving people, you know, Wagyu beef sliders for free at events all over the country and all kinds of expensive swag with Bloomberg 2020 on it. Maybe you can pull something. It turns out, no, you can't. The Bloomberg strategy, and I mean the official campaign strategy, this is what they thought, was that uh, they would be able to get a Steyer would win in South Carolina, preventing Biden from having any momentum going into Super Tuesday. And then Bloomberg would win Super Tuesday, come out in the lead of the delegates, and Biden would concede and consolidate behind Bloomberg. That's what I, I've been reading. People say the sources of the campaign. That was the strategy. Wrong, wrong, wrong. You got that many consultants, that many people doing polls and testing and everything. You know, every, everything with Bloomberg was supposed to be. It was the best. He had truly the best campaign money could buy in the time window that he was operating under, which was very short, but still. And there were national polls. I told you about them. There were national polls where he was at, you know, 20 percent. He was uh, he was the number two contender in some of them behind Bernie or the number three contender out of nowhere. So it seemed right. All, all of it was there. But then wait a second. Hold on. That's not how the votes shook out at all. Now, there were the changes between with Klobuchar and Buttigieg stepping out fine. But when we look at what's really gone on here. It's shown us a couple of things. One, Mayor Bloomberg does not have the national level appeal that despite being super rich and having been mayor of New York for like 100 years, he's just not going to be the next president of the union. He's not even going to be the Democrat nominee. Why did he waste ugh, so many hours on private jets flying around? He hates it. You know, he's, he's not going to be the nominee. He's not popular at the national level. Being mayor of New York is not a great springboard into winning votes in Florida and Ohio and Michigan. And we didn't even test that theory out yet, but 
and and ultimately the the biggest that my fa- well there are two major takeaways from the Bloomberg debacle, which you have to call it a debacle at this point. Guy spent six hundred million dollars in a few months for what? Well, I mean, there are a lot of people that in the I mean, he is kind of a one man political stimulus campaign. So there are consultants that line their pockets. There are people that have done very, very well as a result of Bloomberg's vanity campaign. I'm going to save the country from big soda and guns that go bang, bang and very loud. I don't like them. So he didn't win. Okay, but he spent so much money. We should have we should have one. There there are two lessons related to the money he spent here. One, by the way, producer Mark, I mean, I feel like. We're not going to have a Bloomberg, a Bloomberg-funded Maserati in the Freedom Hunt anytime soon. I'm a little disappointed about this. I guess that also means that we're not going to get any more people yeah. upset at us about Bloomberg ads in the podcast. Thank goodness he dropped out. Because if I hear one more message about the Bloomberg ads, I was going to explode. I, I, I just there was I told people there's nothing we could do about it, but that, that, they that, don't want us to make money. Apparently, that ca- that cash cow. Yeah, hey, hey. Go check out some of our sponsors here in the Freedom Hut, all right? You know, when this we start is cap- doing- this is capitalism. You want to help us defeat Marxism? Help the Freedom yeah. Hut defeat defeat uh, Marxism by going to our sponsors. If we start doing the show in the dark, don't complain. Yeah, I was going to say, we can't keep the lights on. You guys will know why. So, you know, type in that promo code BUCK wherever you can. And uh, this, is what I, this is what I got on this one for you. Um, we, we've been hearing for years that Republicans buy elections. Or that billionaires, millionaires and billionaires buying elections, right? That's been Bernie's favorite thing to talk about. The millionaires and the billionaires. And it turns out that it's ladies night and the mood is right for socialism. It's not true. It's not true. Um, But we've been told that you can buy an election and Bloomberg ran that experiment as much as any human being possibly can. And no, it is not possible to buy an election. It's possible to use money to get your message out. It's possible to use money as speech. But it's also possible for people to say, yeah, I still don't like you. And I'm going to vote for somebody else. See? Wow. And in a sense, you know, put a check mark in the yay democracy column. Turns out that he's not able to just walk in there and say, you know, who who would like some some coconut crusted shrimp and a Bloomberg trucker hat and a Bloomberg sweatshirt? It's very soft. Try it. Uh, yeah, I mean, turns out you can't buy an election with that. The other point here that I wanted to get to about the money and the spending in the election is Bloomberg spent six hundred million dollars and was able to win American Samoa. And it's quite it's quite a headline. Uh, we have been told relentlessly for years that the, the media has been telling us that Russia was able to interfere in our election in a way that we should care about, be terrified of. It, it shakes us to the core of our ele- of our elections and the confidence in our elections. And it's this horrible thing that we should all talk about all the time. We have been told that. Russia spent $100,000 on Facebook ads, a lot of them really semi-literate, bad English, not not effective. You know, nobody would look at them and say, yeah, I'm going to change my mind based on this. Russia spent $100,000. Donald, I mean, uh, Michael Bloomberg spent $600 million and didn't move the needle at all. 
I mean, look at what ended up happening. We finally test out the theory. Yeah, he was able to get some pollsters and get some people to say, see, Bloomberg, but that's what $600 million. Who really thinks that $100,000 spent on Facebook ads is going to change a presidential election? This is what I've been telling you all along is true. This is Democrats pouring a cup of warm water into the ocean and saying, we have changed, we have changed the composition of the ocean. Technically a true, a true statement, but insane, right? Irrelevant, doesn't matter, changes nothing. But they claim that it changed the whole thing. This is the game that they play. This is the dishonesty that they are uh, going through. I mean, Bloomberg was even saying, you know, maybe there'll be like a special, a contested election. Play clip seven. I don't know whether you're going to win any. If you don't have to win states, you have to win delegates. And I think what happens here is nobody gets a majority. Best, somebody will have a plurality. By definition, somebody will have a plurality. And then you go to a convention, and then we'll see what happens in the convention. Do you want a contested convention? Well, I don't think that I can win any other ways. Uh, but contested convention is, is a democratic process. A contested convention is the only way, and it's part of the process. Maybe Bloomberg thinks that there's still some prayer. I mean, he's ended his campaign, but, you know, if if Hillary Clinton can walk around thinking that she's still a relevant player in this process, if she's allowed to voice her opinion and get get all this attention for her to the media and say things like, well, well, I would still run, maybe... You know, if, if Hillary can do that, why can't Bloomberg be on the sidelines? And is I would want to know, does Bloomberg, I, I think this will be a big uh, indicator. Does, do, does Bloomberg's cash go behind Biden to defeat Trump? Really? Does he go all in and really just give Biden a, a, essentially an empty checkbook? Which would replay out again, does money determine political elections? Because what if Trump, Trump spent... I think they, I think they raised half what Hillary Clinton's campaign raised in the or, or they spent half. I mean, it was a huge disparity in the Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump campaigns and Trump crushed her in the Electoral College. So and which is the contest that we are running here. We're not running a popular vote contest. Let's establish that same reason you're going to see uh, you're going to see a, a series of editorials now going forward about how the Electoral College is a vestige of like racism and it's bad or something, you know, or they're going to say that. And they're also going to be, oh, oh, we're just running a story here on the front page. Russia's still meddling in the election. Russia still meddling, still meddling. And that's just hedging their bets. Or really, that's just setting up an excuse, a ready-made built-in excuse in the event of failure of the candidate that now the entire Democrat apparatus is going to try to just just carry as though he's, you know, the, the emperor Biden or something. They're just going to carry him on their shoulders across this election finish line. So they already have that they're going to run with the built-in excuse out of a sense of insecurity that they, they know. I mean, they will never admit this. You'll never hear them say this. They know that Joe Biden's not a great candidate. No one thinks Joe Biden's a great candidate. So does Bloomberg really put all of his financial might behind behind Biden. That's that's one point of this. And then the other one, point two, is let's say he does that and then Trump wins. Can we stop hearing about how money buys elections? Doesn't. We see this. We hear this. But it's just, it's something that makes libs who want a virtue signal over cash and politics and oligarchs running the economy. 
It makes them feel good to constantly talk about the corrupting influence of money because they're not their people aren't corrupt. You know, their billionaires aren't bad. This is a this is a disconnect in the brain that they never they never address. And I don't think they ever will. But at least we'll have more data to support our side, which is already the correct side, which is that money does not buy elections. Mayor Bloomberg tried and failed. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. I haven't talked to you guys about Bernie yet, have I? Bernie has been adding commentary, but he has not been a focus of this radio show because clearly Buck is an oligarch. Bernie's not done. He's not over. They're still clinging to that hope. There's still a chance that the burn could come through here for the socialist left in the Democratic Party. Uh, I, I have told you before, I, I think that the, the Young Turks is a pretty terrible media organization with some really nasty and dishonest people who work for it. Jink uh, Uger, uh, who is the founder of Young Turks, who, just as a side note, he's running for Congress. He recently told the Young Turks, which is super left wing, if you don't know who they are, they're very, they are the most woke, the most left wing digital media outlet, at least in their own minds. I think they would agree that that's all probably true. Uh, so it's interesting that when they wanted to unionize, guess what? Their their CEO and founder, Jenk, was like, no, nah, no, nah, you guys, you can't union. Don't unionize. We can't afford that. I thought unions were good. This just this story just came out in the last few weeks. I thought unions were a great thing. Everybody should unionize. Come on. What's what's wrong with the fat cats? They just want to pay their workers a little bit more. So here, though, is is Jenk, who can, I've interviewed him before. He 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 can be reasonably pleasant. Uh, he's a socialist. Uh, he calls himself a progressive, but he's a socialist. And and here he is talking about, I mean, this is just fun for a lot of us to enjoy this one. Here is why, according to one of the most left-wing, wokest of woke pundits out there who is running for Congress, as a Democrat, of course, here's why Joe Biden sucks. Play it. And so you want to go to war? We'll go to war. And that is what this is. We cannot let Biden win. Guys, not just on progressives versus establishment. This is so important. I need you to understand this. Biden is not going to beat Trump. Biden is either near senile or actually senile. Watch any of the tapes. And Biden lies nonstop. He's going to get caught. He's okay. The media is covering for him, but they're not going to be able to cover when the Republicans come for him. And when Trump comes for him, he's not going to beat Trump. The establishment candidate is less likely to beat Trump. Anyway, we just had 2016 the establishment candidate lost to a doofus like Trump. And now here we go, an establishment candidate that is far worse with mental uh, his mental uh, faculties under question, uh, his record worse than Hillary Clinton's. He lies a thousand times more than Hillary Clinton did, right? And you're going to run that guy against Trump, and we're going to lose to Trump again and maybe lose our democracy? Hell no. I think that everything that he is saying— Oh, sorry, Jenk lost the primary yesterday. Thanks, Producer Nick. <laughs> so he lost already. Uh, good call. He came in fourth. Eh, not surprising. Producer Nick with the with the assist on that one. Uh, but I got to say, Jenk's analysis here of Joe Biden is totally correct <laughs> across the board. He lies all the time. He said he was arrested going to see Mandela recently. Total bull. He, he guys clearly like kind of forgets where he is sometimes. 
you know, he, he he's not a skilled politician when you really get down to it. It's, it's I mean, it's amazing. Why would we got to remember that, you know, the, the email thing, the Democrats managed to cover on Hillary for that. Comey made that go away. They went to the wall, to the mat, to the mattresses, to the whatever the phrase is. I mean, they went all in behind Hillary and were unable to make it work. In what world is Joe Biden a more compelling? Remember, Hillary was was Obama's secretary of state. Hillary was the first female candidate that would have been, would have been the first female president of the United States. Right. Hillary. So Hillary had a, a very close tie into the Obama administration, going to be a third term of Obama. That was the implicit idea beyond the whole first woman president carrying on the torch from the Obama administration, et cetera, et cetera. Didn't get it done. And as we know from the way the voting uh, shook out, not not even close. Joe Biden's going to come. People are going to say, oh, yeah, I've had four years of a really strong economy, relative peace, no major terror attacks from the jihadists on U.S. soil, the eradication of ISIS, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi dead, uh, confronting Iran, you know, taking out the head of the Iranian uh, IRGC, Soleimani. When everyone said it's going to lead to war, Trump does that, doesn't lead to war. Turns out Iran's like, wow, we got to recalibrate here. All this stuff that's going on, securing the border, making sure that illegal aliens are less able to, to compete for jobs of Americans in places where wages now are rising. All that stuff, you know, trade deal done. Trump did get a trade deal. I mean, I can see here we just go through this, you know, over and over again. All that stuff. And all of a sudden, people are going to say, you know what? Let's give the guy who forgets what race he's running for, confuses his wife and his sister, calls a voter he doesn't like fat on TV and then pretends that he's going to say something else, talks about the blonde hair on his legs at the at the pool, confronting a gangster named Corn Pop. I mean, just all this stuff. And then add on top of that, I mean, you might think, oh, that's all superficial. And look at Trump. Trump, you know, it says all the stuff he does on Twitter. Okay, but Biden's been wrong about pretty much every major policy issue he's ever handled for the last 40 years. Does anybody care? Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. And when we began this race for the presidency, everybody said it couldn't be done. But tonight, I tell you with absolute confidence, we are going to win the Democratic nomination, and we are going to defeat the most dangerous president in the history of this country. Bernie's still feeling the burn. He thinks he's going to be able to pull this off. Do I think he's, at this point, delusional? Close to it, although... Every look at what happened here on Super Tuesday. You know, the only thing we know is that anything can happen, right? Do I think it's a distinct possibility that Bernie Sanders very well? Uh, well, no. I mean, I don't think it's a distinct possibility. I think it's a low, low, low percentage, but there is a chance. So you're telling me there's a chance? There's a chance that Bernie Sanders could find himself doing much better in these follow-on states uh, than he than people anticipate. You know. Industrial Midwest, Rust Belt states, in the South. I mean, unlikely. You know, the big differentiator uh, for Biden in in states in the South was the African American vote. That look, 
They, they, according to all the polling, they never wavered, and they, they figured Biden was the safe choice. Biden was who it was going to be, and looks like they were all right. The people who were uh, the African American primary voters who thought that Biden was going to be the guy, when a lot of everybody else was like, you know, not, not going to be Biden. Whoop! Turns out it is going to be Biden. So we have to uh, look at the reality of what the, the follow-on states now are after Super Tuesday for Bernie. Bernie has to say at this point, he's raised so much money, he has to say that he's going to fight this out to the very end. And, and who knows how it's going to shake out when they get to the convention and crazy stuff. We're in a crazy world. Um, I mentioned before, hello, she's still running around. She's still making noises on the sidelines of this campaign. Haven't forgotten about this. Play, uh, play clip two, producer Mark. In the campaign, in the documentary, you talk about his campaign from 2016, and you call it, quote, just baloney, and I feel so bad that people got sucked into it. Do you still feel that way now? Sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, that that was my authentic opinion then. It's my authentic opinion now. Uh, you know, here's one of the saddest things happening right now. The House of Representatives, under Democratic leadership, has passed 400 bills on really important issues, everything from health care to economic security to election security. Security. It just goes on and on. Does anybody know that, Lindsay? Of course not. Nobody knows that. Change is hard. It's not glamorous. It doesn't fit into a soundbite. And yet the people who were elected in 2018 are down there doing the people's work. And I just think we ought to be more uh, understanding and realistic about what it takes to get change in this big, complicated, pluralistic democracy of ours. And it's not easy, but boy, is it ever worth it. And I just want to make sure that voters know what can be done if they give the White House back to the Democrats. Who should be the Democrat they give it back to, Hillary? I have an idea! Who should it be? Hmm. I told you guys I saw the actor, uh, and I would say public intellectual, even though he probably wouldn't tell. I- I'm going to confer that title upon him based solely on his Twitter game, James Woods. I bumped into him in the elevator in California after my brother had said, hey, Where's James Woods the night before, which was just crazy. Uh, James put out a tweet this morning, though, with an idea. It's just a theory. Crediting it to a man who I think studied uh, advanced like algebraic theory at MIT. And he was a really interesting guy uh, in that regard. But anyway, uh, he, he put out a theory. And I'm, I'm just I'm just putting it out there. I mean, not, now we're getting into the speculation zone. Biden's too old. He has moments that if you, I, I will say this, and I, and I don't, you know, we, we get into this area, it's difficult sometimes to balance speaking the truth about Biden. This is why I, I also made that comment earlier in the week about how, you know, I, you know, I do, I do respect the fact that he has dealt with serious, severe tragedy in his life and kept on going and, you know, didn't didn't make excuses and just disappear and didn't you know that there's res- there's respect there. You got to respect what should be respected. Um, okay, on to now the senility question. Keep in mind that Donald Trump being crazy. I mean, they're saying that Donald Trump suffers from a from a serious enough mental illness that he should no longer be president. That has been a favorite a favorite game of the Democrats now for years. But there is a real you know, imagine, for example, what the, how the markets would react if if the president all of a sudden walked out to give a speech, whether it was Trump or Biden or anybody else. The president walked out and gave a speech 
and just started uh, speaking in gibberish. I remember once in my life when I had such a high fever, and I still remember it happening, speaking in gibberish, thinking I was able to speak to my parents. It's terrifying because you don't, you don't, you know, you hear and you're like, that's not what I'm trying to say. So that can happen. Imagine if the president of the United States came out and it was, you know, you know, my fellow Americans, I'd like to say that, you know, and all of a sudden they got to run out there and they got like Secret Service kind of grabbing him and shuffling him off the stage. Think of what the markets would do. Think of what our enemies would be thinking around the world. It's not good. It's not, and because it's not even just that, oh, look at this bad moment. It's bad optics. It's this is the person who's making really critical decisions about things. You know, decision-making, decision fatigue is real. The decision-making process that we all have to engage in every day is one of the most important things we do, right? Decisions are abound. We're constantly being forced to make decisions. Judgment. You know, in many ways, life is a judgment test. What is your judgment about a whole host of issues from the small to the very, very, very important? You don't want somebody that may have the actual brain chemistry uh, misfiring. It's a real discussion. It's it's fair to have it about about Biden. And, you know, we get in this area, though, where the media is just going to pretend that it's not true, that he does not have the what would seem if he were a relative of mine and he had had these incidents, you know, if, if he were if he were my great uncle Joe, let's say, and I had seen him having these incidents, I would be worried about the mental health of my, my family member. I, I honestly would. Some of these things, it's it's cloudy. And I, I remember uh, visiting in, in Brooklyn, and I grew up here in, in New York City. I remember visiting a great-grandmother when I was very young, and I didn't know what dementia was, but she would have paranoid episodes and, and show signs of dementia. She was in her 90s. And, you know, you, it's a tough thing to see no matter how old somebody is. Joe Biden's not quite there, but he's showing some of these early signs. And so, you know, I, I don't want to be unkind, unchristian. I'm not trying to be nasty about it, but it's real. It's real. And they're going to pretend that it's not. And I think this is where we get into the James Woods theory. That's why I brought this up. You know, there's all kinds of crazy ideas out there right now. But Hillary as VP under a Biden ticket. I know you and, and and keep in mind, Hillary as VP under a Biden ticket, it sets right in the minds of the left 2016. They would bring the you know, it would bring together the Clinton and Obama political uh, machines. And Biden could very well uh, take uh, he could be either he could agree to be a one termer. Just say, I've got one term in me, and then I'm going to pass the baton on to now. Hillary's older, too, but she's not as old as Biden, I don't think. I think she's like 71 or 70. She's like Trump age. Uh, but she could, she could Biden could say, I'm going to pass the baton on to Hillary. You'd have a, a built-in then first woman president, assuming she was able to win then with Biden in the in the Oval Office. How old is she? She's 72. Yeah, that's what that's, <laughs> I think that's what Trump is. Trump's 70 with 72. Six years, seven years, eight years makes a big difference at that age. It does. Any of you who have aging family members, you know, you know, like the difference between 60 and 70 is big. The difference between 70 and 80 is huge. So what about Hillary being brought in as the vice president under a Biden ticket? And then Biden says, I'm just going to be a one termer. And the and the idea would be that at any point in time, 
Biden could say uh, for health reasons, he could grade. This is the James Woods theory. He could gracefully bow out and say, you know, we've got a wonderful president ready to go here with Hillary Clinton. You all know her. I'm going to go and give, you know, speeches for half a million a pop or 250 a pop and go fishing. And I've saved the de- I've saved the country. That becomes a narrative. He would have saved the country because they think that Donald Trump's an existential threat on behalf of the Democratic Party. And they would he would be in Democrat circles. He would be a hero for all time. I can't say this is going to happen. Maybe Biden won't want to be overshadowed by Hillary. I, I do think Biden probably recognizes that he at some level that he's missing a step and is too old for this, but thinks that he's the best chance they have against Trump, which may actually be true, and that he's doing them a favor by fighting this thing out to the very end. But Hillary as VP, it doesn't. They should, could they go a lot younger? Sure. But I I don't think this is as, as out there. I don't know what the Vegas odds on this would be, but I think Hillary being VP under a Biden ticket, if he gets the nomination, makes a lot of sense. Remember, there were they floated Bloomberg and Hillary, and people say now that that was just the Bloomberg campaign trying to get attention or whatever. Okay, well, all these consultants, all the people crunching the numbers, clearly they overestimated, but they had an incentive. Remember this. They had an incentive to overestimate Bloomberg's chances because they wanted the cash. Yeah, sure, this will be great. Give me more money. Oh, yeah, you'll totally win California. Give me more money. Uh, Hillary, as a shiny object to put out there to get more attention for the Bloomberg campaign only works because people think it's feasible. People only think it's feasible because uh, it is, I think. Does anyone doubt that Hillary would take a vice presidential slot under Biden? Uh, I, I don't doubt it. I don't think she would. I could. She wants, she wants back into the White House one way or another, even though I know it's technically the Naval Observatory she'd be living in. But, you know, she wants back in the game. She doesn't, doesn't want to sit this out. She doesn't want to go do yoga and go for walks and drinking Chardonnay and Chappaqua. No. She wants back in. It would not surprise me in the least if Hillary Clinton somehow managed this. I, I'm. Here's another prediction. We'll, we'll mark this with a post-Super Tuesday prediction. We'll have to mark this one down. Could Hillary end up being the VP? You'd have an old Democrat, can, uh, old Democrat ticket, but... One with a lot of resonance, 100% name recognition, a ton of money, and the media all in to support. Makes sense. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. No, you got to have reform. I mean, remember what happened four years ago, summer of 2016. The FBI launches an investigation and spies on four American citizens associated with the presidential campaign. And to make matters worse, they further spy on them by going to the FISA court to, to spy on Carter Page. And they lie to the court 17 times. So we have to have reform. I think that's paramount. What we don't want is a clean reauthorization. So we're going to be pushing for reform. And frankly, the other big thing that needs to happen is we need John Ratcliffe confirmed as director of national intelligence. This was the guy who called this three years ago, said that the bad things were happening. And of course, Jim Comey and Adam Schiff said, oh, no, 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 the FISA process is just fine. So those are the two most important things we can do right now to protect further uh, campaigns in the future, presidential campaigns, and protect the American people. Reform FISA and make sure John Ratcliffe is head of DNA. I got to tell you, I, I am still very frustrated to this day that it really hasn't sunk in yet just how egregious the FISA abuse was. 
you have to remember there that we always focus on Carter Page and George Papadopoulos. FISA was abused. We know this. We've seen the inspector general report that said there were 14 instances of of severe, you know, improper stuff going on with the FISA court. And now it's come up for reauthorization. FISA is an end run on the Fourth Amendment. It's it's effectively a time when the Congress has said, okay, for national security reasons, we're just going to let you spy on people in secret. But it's only going to be used to stop terrorists and, and spies. It's not, you know, it's not going to be used for political purposes. That would be way too, that would be way too egregious. But that's what happened. That is what occurred in the 2016 election cycle. They spied people in the government, got all worked up over a theory about Russian collusion and whether they did it uh, cynically, knowing that it was all BS or whether they're actually dumb enough to believe it, you know, deluded enough to think that this was really true. They use FISA to spy on a presidential campaign. You have to remember also FISA allows for collection not just on the person, but on that on the person's contacts and the contacts of the contact. Cheryl Atkinson just uh, Atkinson just wrote about this the, the last week or so. Talks about the two hops. So you can get pretty far. So if you have anybody associated with the Trump campaign, guess what? It's very likely you're going to be able to spy on people at the very top of, including perhaps Trump himself. So do we ever get any any real knowledge of it? What, what should really happen is now that the I, he's probably going to wait for the Durham report. But, you know, who knows when that's going to come out? At some point, Trump should just declassify. You know, they, they should declassify every every person that was spied on under the FISA. Every person that was touched, whose communications were, were sucked up, essentially, by the vacuum cleaner of the FISA surveillance as a result of the Carter, the four Carter Page FISA warrants. That would tell us a story that I think people would finally say, wait a second. Because if Carter Page is in contact with so-and-so and so-and-so is in contact with, uh, yeah, you know, the head of the Trump campaign, you know, Trump's top advisors, you know, Michael Cohen, I don't know, whoever, guess what? They could have checked that email out, too. They could have looked at those phone calls, too. You name it. So that's what we really need to know for this to sink in. For To just reauthorize FISA as it is would mean that we don't have any real uh, accountability in the system. And there's no reason to believe that similar spying on a presidential campaign could occur in the future, including in this next election. What, you don't think there are still people working on the FBI and the DOJ who, if they could get away with it, would find some way to do this? I'm, I'm sure there are. They might be a little more hesitant now than they have been in the past because Bill Barr, thankfully, is still the attorney general. And there's this Durham probe coming out. I've got to say, I'm right on all the deep state predictions and all where the inspector general report. That stuff I've just crushed for three years. I've never been wrong on that stuff. Political candidate picking is a little tougher. <laughs> that I got to say, I haven't been. I don't have a 100% track record. I know the deep state, man. I know Ramius. I know the deep state, um, but politics in America is a tough thing to to know right out right off the right off the bat. So Jim Jordan's right that there should be penalties for lying to the FISA court. There won't be though, and Congress is going to make a lot of noise about reform here. I wonder, I wonder if they'll actually get far enough in this process that there'll be some change because the lack of accountability at the FBI for what happened to the Trump campaign in 2016 
it really just makes our legal system feel like a laughing stock. Thanks for listening to the Bus, Sex, and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcast, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Team, I got a couple of, of mulligans, things I meant to get to earlier in the show, but I got so wrapped up in the in-depth political analysis that I missed. One was the bizarre rushing of the stage situation at the Biden, uh, basically, victory speech, where Dr. Jill Biden, and by the way, is she an MD or is she like a PhD? I got to think about this. I don't know if you're a PhD if we all have to run on calling you Doc. Do we, do we know what... What is, Producer Mark, would you tell me, please, when you get a second, what is Jill Biden's, why is she a doctor? I, I've, I'm i sorry. Doctor is really, I mean, I, I know people get mad at me for saying this. Doctor is for MD. Uh, I know people like, because they have a doctorate. I don't know if you have a doctorate in French philosophy, if we have to call you doctor your whole life. In a quick Google search, it's a doctorate in uh, education. <sighs> Ooh, survey says, meh. sorry, doesn't. Doesn't cut the mustard for the Buckster. Doesn't do it. Nope. A doctorate in education does not make you doctor. I mean, you know, just like an, if you get an honorary doctorate in the humanities because you donate a lot of money to someplace, people don't have to call you doctor. All right. So I think that's interesting. Doctor Jill Biden all the time. Nope. Sorry. Jill Biden. Anyway, Jill Biden uh, got a lot of press because she stood in between the crazy vegan protesters and her uh, and her husband. Remember, they, they, they were yelling, let dairy die! Uh, dairy now is, cow slavery is a is a thing. This is a, uh, a recurring left-wing cause. All of, ever since Joaquin Phoenix got up at the Oscars and spoke about this, um, we're going we're gonna to continue to be told this. I mean, you know, at some level, the circle of life it's the circle of life. Uh, requires animals eating other animals, animals uh, taking from other animals. That's just uh, otherwise n- nothing lives, right? I mean, we've all learned about the food, uh, the food chain. We all understand that there's, you know, alpha predators, and then it goes all the way down to the the baseline organisms necessary to sustain an ecosystem, right? We took like fifth grade science. Hashtag science. Uh, you know, should we be cruel to animals? Never. Are we going to rely on animals for food, for milk, for stuff? Yes. It's not going to change. Not anytime soon. You know, I know that everyone's running around saying that we're supposed to love these, you know, impossible burgers and these other things. I've had them. They're okay. It's just like having a salted chickpea patty, basically. I mean, it's okay. Not horrible. They're not great. It's not a burger. Not even close. Never in your life will you, you know, so far would you sit there and be like, oh, why am I eating this delicious you know, ground beef, 80% lean, you know, good old-fashioned American burger, when I could be having this patty made to look like a burger with, like, 50 different ingredients in it that does not... Have you ever had one of these, by the way, Bruce Mark? I have not. The Beyond the... The Impossible... My my wife uh, made me go get an Impossible Whopper for her because she doesn't eat They sell them now, right? She doesn't eat beef because it upsets her stomach, not because she's against it. But yeah, she she's not a it. communist. I understand. Yeah. Like I, I don't eat gluten, not because I'm a communist, but because yeah, I can't. Yeah, it doesn't. But uh, she liked it. She enjoyed it. But I guess she doesn't really understand what beef tastes like. But I mean, can we? I don't want to put too much on your on your plate here. Ha ha. I don't want to uh, put too much on your plate. But I mean, can we get producer Mark's review of would, a of an Impossible Whopper? Fine. Sometime I will soon? go buy an Impossible. Just buy burger. one. You know. 
take a bite. You don't have to eat the whole thing. Yeah. Maybe yeah. I'll take a bite out of my wife's. Yes. Ask your wife next time for a bite of hers. She's not very a big fan of me eating her food, though. It's funny. I'm not a sharer, really, either. Yeah. You know, some people, like, some members of my family like to create the instant buffet of, like, you get this, and I'll get this, and we'll share, and we'll... No, 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 no. No. I like, I like it to be my zone. I get my food. That's what I'm eating. And the romantic partner, I, you know, girlfriend, future wife, if I ever get one, they can eat off my plate, and that's fine, but, but I... Nobody else... Nobody See, else. I'm okay with it you know, with my wife, and obviously in an appetizer situation. Well, yeah, appetizer, shared appetizer. Yeah, I'm not. I mean, I'm. Not, we're you know, we're not animals. Of course, we yeah, can yeah, share appetizers. Yeah. But yeah, but people start splitting entrees. No, I. Can't I'm not do an entree that. split guy. No, I, I'll take a taste of somebody else's entree, and you can have a taste. I will cut off a piece of my steak because that's always the right move to order. Sure. And I'll share with the person that decided to get the the roast scrod or whatever. But no. The, 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 we're not doing this like cutting it up in half and, and ruining the presentation yeah, for like, share. Uh, my in-laws like to order a bunch of entrees at, at Chinese food and then share them all. No, I want my I will own. tell you, my family, we grew up doing that too. No, Chinese I like food, it. I feel like, is a little different. Don't you want the variety with the Chinese food? I guess. My wife and I aren't Chinese food compatible, we've learned. What is your? What are your favorite like, Chinese she food She likes dishes? pork fried rice, but I prefer like a chicken or beef fried rice. I mean, pork fried rice is the correct answer. I don't. You I, tell I don't Ariel know. that she's correct on this one. All right. I don't think pork so. fried rice is the way to go. What are your three orders in a Chinese restaurant? Keep in mind, there's one restaurant I can still go to where they make every Chinese dish okay. gluten free, so I can still uh, keep it real here. I like chicken with garlic sauce, the spicy sauce. Yes. Uh, I like. I I always liked sweet and sour chicken when I was a kid. The fried mm -hmm. one. That's mm -hmm. uh, General Sao's chicken. I'll do sesame chicken occasionally. I like to mix it up. Yeah. Beef and broccoli. I'm a big fan of. I. Pork fried dumpling, mm -hmm. fried rice, general so chicken. For me, the only problem with getting that is I will eat it so quickly and so yeah. excessively that like I don't even want to know what the I I, I probably put away a day and a half of caloric content with that one meal. Other than the rice, how is that gluten free though? Uh, it's uh, they just use gluten free flour. Oh okay. And they use and there's gluten free. The tamari sauce is a soy sauce alternative that's gluten free. So you yeah, just use gluten-free flour and tamari sauce, and you're good. Everything else is pretty much easy. Huh. I didn't know you could do gluten-free dumplings. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Gluten, gluten-free flour. Yeah, so rice flour is gluten-free. So that you can have that isn't ruined. There, yes. Well, there's only one place in all of New York City that I know of where you can get it gluten-free. It's actually very good, hmm. and that's it. Uh, but obviously, I grew up eating Chinese food with my family, and that sure. was the thing. Obviously, pizza you share. Like, I'm not crazy. Uh, but I just don't like, yes. I don't like entree splitting at restaurants. No, that's ridiculous. You know, I, entree tasting, fine. Entree splitting, what are we? You know what I mean? My wife will very not, rarely even give me a bite of her food. I mean, you know, she likes what she likes. Yeah. And she does you know, you, you should have ordered better. I don't know what to say. I also don't like when I try to convince somebody, this is happening many times on dates. I'm like, I don't, you know, they're like, well, do you think I'll like this? I'm like, no, I think I think you should get this instead. And then they won't get it. But then I'll get the thing that I said would be better. And then they're like, I don't really like mine. I want more of yours. I'm like, I told you. Yeah. I'm a are you a, I I'm an A plus orderer I will say I've made mistakes I know what the best uh, yeah I mean you got to live on the edge a little bit but I yeah. I usually get the best stuff that I of anybody at you know I know what I know what to get at a place uh, I'm glad yeah I, you know, I do what I can uh, and even for other people that with the glutinous food I can kind of help them out anyway so vegan let us know about the Impossible Whopper producer Mark when you can I will we'll, he'll give us a full review we'll go to the penalty box for Mark's review. And I, I just, it doesn't taste as good. This whole vegan militancy thing, though, is not surprising to me because there's always been a little bit of this. There have been militant vegans for a long time. And I, I've met vegans who say, oh, it's not about that. It's about my health. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, 
How do you feel about those vegans that are militant, though? The ones that think that, you know, bee slavery needs to end because we shouldn't be taking the honey from the bees. Uh, you know, how, how do we really feel about that? And ultimately, I just want to know, why is it, you know, why is it bad to, to eat honey, which some vegans will tell you it is bad? You know, we shouldn't be taking the honey from the animals because same thing with with cows. We're not. I mean, I like eating cows, too, but taking their milk isn't killing them. Uh, you would ask yourself, well, why is it OK to eat plants? They don't want to die. Plants are living creatures, too. And if we can't if we can't consume any form of life, we can't survive as a species. So really, what are we doing here? What are we talking about? I'm just saying. So eat your General Tso's chicken. Don't worry about it. Uh, it's the best. I don't, but just don't ever check the amount of sodium and sugar and fat in that is, whew, man. Americanized Chinese food is uh, is a thing that can help you put on the lbs. I can tell you. So Jill Biden tried to protect her husband from vegan, and I, I didn't mention that. Bernie Sanders, by the way, we got one more clip for play. Play clip twelve, will you? President Trump, stay out of the Democratic primary. Why don't you do your job for a change as president? Stop lying. Stop running a corrupt administration. Pay attention to the American people, not just your own uh, political aim. Uh, stay out of the primary. This is a this is a thing that we've been hearing from Democrats a lot now. I think it's interesting because do you think Bernie and this is this is the mulligan I wanted to get to. Do you think Bernie recognizes that if Elizabeth Warren, Elizabeth Warren, she's still out there on the warpath. Do you think that she's, uh, do you think that he's recognized that she stayed in this race? Maybe not just out of vanity, maybe because she was told you got to stay in the race. She hurt Bernie in some key states where Bernie would have definitely had, because you got to figure that the person who's siphoning the most votes off from Bernie in this primary is Elizabeth Warren. So, do you think he's recognized that she's his ideological ally, supposedly, but she's not going anywhere. She's staying in this as long as she can. Yeah. The only people that I've ever really come across that seem to really like Elizabeth Warren. She lost her home state of Massachusetts. Think about that. She lost her own state. Uh, the, the only people I've come across that really like Elizabeth Warren are smug lib journos. They they think she's great. They're really all about it. And I just wonder what was what she has been promised behind the scenes in order to continue to stay in this primary as essentially a, a Bernie spoiler, because that's that's really what she is at this point. There's nothing else that she's doing. She's a Bernie spoiler. So you'd think that the progressive candidates at this point, if they care as much about dramatic change in this country as they say they do, uh, she'd be willing to step aside as Buddha Judge and Klobuchar were, but nope. Now, why is that? Do we think that maybe Elizabeth Warren could be the olive branch a Biden administration would extend to progressives, or at least that would be the promise? Maybe you have Elizabeth Warren as, I don't know, Treasury Secretary. Oh, you think that's so crazy? I don't think the libs think that's so crazy. Maybe that's what happened here, because there's no other good explanation for why Warren would still be sticking it out and still be in this process like this. It, it just doesn't it doesn't add up unless you just think she's a total, a totally tone deaf egomaniac, which is possible because she pretended to be a Cherokee uh, Native American for decades and decades of her life when no person who is normal would say, yeah, that makes sense. 
Just as an aside, I watched uh, I watched some of the Peter Pan, the original Peter Pan country. And I've gone back and watched some Disney classics recently. And uh, I'm amazed that they haven't tried to edit out. There's a lot of Native American stereotyping in the 1951 Peter Pan that Disney put out that Surprised they haven't tried to airbrush that all out and get rid of it all. It's still there. I can't even talk about it that much on air, but go back and watch it. You say, whoa, amazing how much the world has changed since then. And, uh, since, you know, what was considered completely sound and, and celebrated entertainment for children is now is now not woke enough, not woke enough. Uh, I'm just glad that at least in Lady and, and, Lady and the Tramp, we can still do the Italian, he's a talking to me, you know. You can still do that one. I think we can still, Italian-Americans have enough of a sense of humor about Italian accents, you can get away with that. Hey, buongiorno. But I don't know about how long, I just give it time. They're going to complain. They got rid of Apu from The Simpsons. They got rid of him. Gone. Hank Azaria said, yep, sorry, I shouldn't have done it as long as we did. He's out. Character that was on the air for decades. And was a successful small business owner and family man who often shed a lot of a lot of wisdom on the situation of the Simpsons. But they didn't like his accent. They didn't like the stereotypes. So he's out. So you never know. Nothing. Nothing is safe from the woke police. That much we do know. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Markets up a little bit today. I, I guess we'll continue to do these these coronavirus updates as we can. The market seems to have had a little rebound. Bad day yesterday, very good day Monday. So it's very choppy right now. Uh, people coming in and out of the market. Uh, you know, don't try to catch a fallen knife. They say don't try to game the market out. If you if you're a long term investor and you think that this is, which which I am, and you think that this is going to uh, work itself out then just pick sound investments for yourself. If you're somebody that, you know, needs cash now or whatever, yeah, maybe you maybe you de-risk a little bit. Maybe you take a little bit of a you you actually hedge, which it's funny cuz people always talk about hedge funds, but hedge funds don't really often do what their initial strategy was supposed to be, which is hedging. A lot of them just are massive investment pools. So coronavirus, the interesting news today was that they think there may be two strains of it going around. And that one strain is much more dangerous, but less transmissible, less easy uh, for it to be passed on to others than the other strain. That would make sense to me. Latest reporting from World Health Organization is that the mortality rate, uh, the mortality rate of coronavirus is even higher than they thought. It's more maybe more like three percent. That is contra the thesis that I've been advancing to you that I think that it's probably a lesser mortality rate because we don't know the number of cases. I'm not I don't think that I'm wrong. I just think that they're having to adjust the numbers based on uh, the cases that are reported and the number of fatalities. It would, however, make sense to me that you might have two virus strains out there. This is reported today. You might have two virus strains that are very similar but different enough that one of them spreads pretty rapidly because people have low or no symptoms for the incubation period and uh, are less likely to self-quarantine. And that one may have a very, that strain may have more like a flu-level mortality rate, but then there's this other coronavirus strain that's already out there as well because the virus can can change, can mutate, and that that one would have more like a 3 or 4% mortality, which, which is really scary. And now you get into, well, is, is that, and this is just, it's a theory that has been put out there today 
I think Daily Mail was reporting on it uh, based on what some medical experts are seeing. That's also a possibility. Um, look, you know, we're, we're going to get through this. There's no question about that. We're just trying to get through it with minimum minimum loss of life, uh, loss of life, minimum disruption uh, to the economy. And uh, this is every administration has stuff come up that is not expecting. That's not the fault of the administration. It's true of every presidency. It's just the nature of life and the world we live in. There are things that happen. And the Trump administration's adaptation to this particular challenge, I think, has been so far strong. And hopefully we can continue to see the containment that there there are public health experts. And, you know, for everyone who says, listen to the scientists. Yeah. When you listen to scientists on this, what you often find out is that they don't completely agree. So what does that mean to listen to scientists? You know, the left likes to boil this stuff down to talking points that don't really give us a whole lot to work work with. Is it the case that this is pretty much contained in some places or not? That's what we should begin to uh, we, sh- we, we need to look at this. And that's what we need to understand if we're going to have a pretty good projection for how well we'll be able to deal with this or not. Uh, so, you know, producer Mark and I are taking our vitamin C and trying to get enough sleep and trying to keep our immune systems immune systems up. I'm on the subway four times a day here in New York City every Monday through Friday. Think about that. I'm on four times a day. So I am I am being submerged in that you know, human Petri dish many, many, many times over. And I am vigilant, but I'm not concerned. I feel like everybody should, they should have that same mentality. I think that's the most appropriate way to view this situation. And, uh, you know, let's just, if we get this thing under control, the weather gets warmer, it looks like transmission will be going down, you know, by, there is a, there is a realistic possibility whereby, let's say June or July, I think, this is really in the rearview mirror, and we may have to continue the vaccine research and continue to prepare for this to be an, an addition uh, to the concerns over the normal flu season in this country, but that's something that we'll be able to manage. And I, I, I'm hopeful that we will get there soon. All right, we can roll call when you want. Thanks for listening to the Bus, Sex, and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Team Buck, it's time for Roll Call. All right, Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton or Team Buck at iHeartMedia.com. If you want to email us, it's Team Buck at iHeartMedia.com. I want some first-timers. You know, it's always great to see new people send in. You can even just send in a one-liner. Hey, Buck, love the show. Producer Mark is hilarious. You guys are amazing. Peace. Like, you can always do that. We just like hearing from you. So please don't be shy. And Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton, just send a message to that page, and it'll come into us. Uh, and that's the easiest way. Or you can just type in Buck Sexton. You'll see my face, and that's me. Uh, so that's what, I, that's what I got for you, um, I would say. Oh, oh one, one update before we get into some of the roll call stuff. On the Chris Matthews departure from MSNBC, where he pretty much quit during a live broadcast on air, which I think some people were really kind of like, wow, about the whole thing. So uh, Chris Matthews had come under pressure from what you could call the the new, the new acceptable 
standards of behavior and decorum in the office as a result of the Me Too era. And there's this piece in GQ that's now making the rounds from a, a female writer who claims not only that Chris, Ma- you know, that she's pulled together all these different people talking about how Chris Matthews was gross in different ways toward women who came on his show, uh, but that she herself had dealt with creepy Chris. And speaking of creepy, the Joe Biden creepiness, the media is never going to talk about it. The sniffing, the grabbing women's heads and kissing their heads and all the weird stuff that he does. They're just going to pretend like that never happened. Don't poke that in my face, okay, buddy? Yeah. So Chris Matthews, the you know, some of the stuff that he said, look, it's not good. I mean, it's not stuff you'd want. It's not a professional thing to say. But for him to get you know, taken out to the, you know, in the stockade on this one is a little bit of a, a little bit of a surprise, I think. Well, I shouldn't say it's a surprise. It's a little severe. It's not surprising. The Me Too era now, whew, rules, rules are constantly changing about, I'm not better, I'm not talking about people that assault people or break the law. I'm talking about comments now. What comments are acceptable in an office? Well, here, this is from this GQ piece. Quote, the number of on-air incidents is long, exhausting, and creepy, including commenting to Aaron Burnett, for example, you're a knockout, it's all right getting bad news from you, end quote. Is telling somebody they're a knockout, um, I mean, how offensive is that? Is it appropriate? No. Is it a cool thing to say? I mean, no, not really. But, you know, is that really... Let's keep in mind also women in the TV news business. Uh, it's very interesting. You can't really talk. Appearance is a part of that business. People are evaluated on appearance. And sometimes contractually, they're obligated to maintain the appearance that they were hired with. So you can't all of a sudden go on air with like a pink mohawk, right? Could you? Could they fire you if you gained, you know, 50, 100 pounds? I don't know, but I think they probably can make a case they could. So... You know, that that puts you in this interesting position where people are benefiting from their appearance, but you can't comment on their appearance, professionally benefiting from their appearance. Clearly. Hmm. That seems a little bit like it's a that's a difficult area to gauge what's acceptable, what's not. All right. But let me go back to this GQ piece. Quote, behind the scenes, one of Matthew's former producers told The Daily Caller in 2017 that he allegedly rated his female guests on a numerical scale and would name a hottest of the week like a teenage boy. In 1999, an assistant producer accused Matthews of sexual harassment, which CNBC, the show's network at the time, investigated. They concluded that the comments were inappropriate and Matthews received a stern reprimand. So, yeah, he's a guy that says, like, dumb, inappropriate stuff about women pretty regularly. I think I think that's, that's clear. Um, so, you know, MSNBC, the wokeness is going to get you. Quote, he has repeatedly lusted over women in politics on air, including remarking in 2011 that there's something electric and very attractive about the way former vice presidential candidate Sarah Palin walks and moves, and noting in 2017 that acting attorney general Sally Yates is attractive, obviously. Obviously? Okay. Anyway, um, yeah. So this is, I just wanted to follow up with why, why did, why did they give... Chris Matthews, the boot, and this is why. Talking about how chicks are hot all the time, and that's not going to fly. And I tell you now, I would know walking around the office, you know, you don't talk about don't talk about chicks being hot in the office, that's for sure. That's a bad move. 
But it is interesting. What are the limits on what you can say about public figures? Are you allowed to say now without Me Too coming after you that, you know, a certain female politician, you know, are you going to get in trouble if you say Sarah Palin is, is a beautiful woman for, you know, a beautiful woman? Is that going to get you in trouble? I don't know. I got in trouble for saying that Ilhan Omar was pretty. Not a lot of, I, actually, attractive was the term that I used, attractive. Uh, I didn't get in a lot of trouble, but, and I thought that was crazy and refused to bend the knee and apologize. And I thought that was nuts. It's a public figure. I said a nice thing. Sorry, I, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know what to say. I said her politics were crazy. That I'm allowed to do for sure. But you know, she's attractive, even though her politics are crazy. That's, that's all I said. That's all I did. I wrote this on Twitter. Not, not allowed to do that. Not allowed to do that. Uh, wasn't here. I got in trouble. That was at the, I can say it now. That was when I was at the Hill. Somebody at the Hill complained about my tweet about a public figure being attractive. Okay. Um, that's sexist now. I could have played the whole game, too, of, like, I meant attractive in persona and with charisma. You know, I could have. But, you know, it's like, okay. Let's, but um, there's really a there's an aggressiveness and a, a sense of evening the score that sometimes becomes a part of this Me Too mentality where liber- it's always liberal feminists want to find men to make an example of. And they are not fair-minded in this, and they there's no mercy, there's no second chance. They just want to crush. They just want to crush fools. That's what they want to do. And uh, I don't think that's I, I cannot find myself approving of this approach. So Chris Matthews was a doofus, and I'm not, I, I'm not surprised that he got ousted for this. But you know, some of the comments that they complain about as being more evidence as to why he should go. I'm like, really? You're gonna go for that? But. Now we have a thing where women in TV news are allowed to benefit very, very clearly benefit from their appearance, but no one is allowed to talk about their appearance. Same thing with men, by the way. Men benefit from their appearance in TV news, too. Do you think let's play this game for a second. You think that guy on ABC News? uh, I don't even know his name. Muir. You you think he has that job because he's so smart? I'm I'm just saying. Right. So let's let's not pretend that it's only a one way thing here. Uh, but I digress. All right, all right. I know, I know, I know. Roll call, roll call. Wherefore, out there, art thou roll call, which actually means why are you roll call, which is not correct, but I just wanted to say it. Let's get to it. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. All right. Producer Mark has pulled together some of the best roll call of the day, and so I want to get to it. Laura, when's your book going to be available? I need all the tools I can get in the battle against socialism. It seems to rage more fiercely every day. Thank you for being one of the great generals in the fight. Shields high. Laura, uh, we think in the next 60 days, six to eight weeks, uh, the book is, it has been submitted. It's not very long. I didn't want it to be very long. I want people to read the whole thing. So it's not 400 pages. I didn't use a ghostwriter. No ghostwriting here. No, somebody else writes the book and I put my name on it. I, you know, some people like to do that. I do not. I've had offers. People have come to me and say, hey, we're going we're gonna to put a book out in your name. I Even people approach me and say they want to put an editorial out in my name. And I, look, I know this is not industry standard, but if I say I wrote something, I wrote it. Now, there are addendums to the chapters that I've written that are very clearly marked as such of my friends at Sandsbury Research taking my political analysis and then giving you some financial takeaways from it but it's marked as such so you can see that right that's that's there but everything else everything that that is shown is stuff that you know is buck sex and writing about so that's all me i wrote every word of it 
I mean, you know, maybe they edited a couple of those and us and stuff, but I mean, I, I wrote the book. A lot of people, a lot of people in conservative media don't write their books. And they go around talking about the book they wrote. And I just, I, I can't do it. I can't do that. I, I don't know. I don't know why that's considered okay. I don't know why people feel good about that. I, I don't or I wouldn't. So that's what I got for you there. Um, Ernest. Hey, Buck. Let me start by saying I'm a big fan and patiently wait for every new episode. The other day you were, forgive me if I get this wrong, uh, jested about Buttigieg having presidential candidacy money at about your age and then made an offhanded comment that boomers are responsible for the millennial plight. Well, I am a boomer. I never got a single freebie in life. Joined the Air Force in the early 20s, put myself through a college, had a child at age 24, gave him things I never had, and he squandered a political science degree paid for by guess who to become a chef. I am fairly typical. I'm curious what millennials have against boomers. Still a fan, just curious about this aspect of the millennial psyche. Sorry, you, you couldn't get a word in edgewise on Mars show. It would have been good to see them engage, but there was none of that. Yeah, I mean, they wouldn't let me talk, guys. So, you know, I don't know what. And unless I'm going to start shouting over the host, there's really not a lot. You know, they just wouldn't let me speak. So I, I, I said what I could say under the circumstance. And they're all going to look very foolish, I think, if you go back and watch that episode in a month, including Bill. And I'm going to look like I'm a normal human being that thinks about things. But for, you know, when, when you're talking about a thing that hasn't happened yet, it's very easy for everybody to sound really smart because nobody knows. Uh, is the pandemic the worst thing ever and is ever going to change their mind about Trump? That was what was being said on that panel. And Trump's an idiot who doesn't know how to handle it. We'll see how that looks in a month. Um, and Ernest, so as for millennials versus boomers, look, there's always intergenerational tension. What, with the millennial stuff about the boomers is uh, that, you know, our the healthcare expenses that we've, we we are paying taxes for uh, health care that is going predominantly to boomers. And uh, there's also a sense that, you know, the boomer generation was able to, to rise up when their various fields because their parents retired at 65. A lot of boomers have great jobs, make plenty of money, and they don't want to retire till they're 75, 80. They keep going and going and going. So it pushes down the upward mobility, especially I mean, in media is a great example of it. You know, a lot of people think, oh, this person's irreplaceable in the media, irreplaceable in the media. Until somebody comes along who's got a good skill set, who's 20 or 30 years younger, and then all of a sudden the ratings are the same or higher, and everyone goes, oh, okay. I mean, look, you know, look at you know, Keith Olbermann. I mean, I, I, I won't talk about conservatives. That might seem self-serving, right? But you can look at uh, on, the, on the liberal side of things. There have been plenty of people that have, you know, oh, they'll never be able to be replaced. Oh, and I just mentioned David Muir, right? You know, he replaced, what was it, Peter Jennings? Ratings are fantastic at ABC News right now. I think they have like 10 million people that watch that 30-minute broadcast all the time. What's up? Didn't Peter Jennings have some sort of illness, and I believe he's deceased? No, he was I'm saying. He replaced it. Yeah, yeah. So obviously Peter Jennings could not still be. No, anchoring. but the point is that the ratings of the young guy who yes, came I in. Are the, yeah, yeah. And by the way, I think Peter Jennings might have been NBC. I'm actually thinking of who's the guy? Tom Brokaw. Yeah, that's Tom Brokaw's ABC. Where's the NBC? CBS. No, Tom Brokaw's not CBS. Are you sure? He's ABC or NBC. I'm sure. Uh, for some reason, people wanted to hear a guy tell the news like this all the time for years. That's the old school deep voice yes, thing. Yeah. It sounds like you must trust him because he has this weird thing about the way he talks. It stems from early radio days, Buck. Hey, welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. Oh, I'm just going to have the deepest voice Now you ever. just sound like uh, Alex Jones. 
Hey, no, that's down here. That's down here. That's even more groundwork. You know what? I think you're a Bilderberg plant here on the Buck Sexton Show. You're trying to do it. I know you. Google it. Bruce and Mark has gone over to the dark side. He is now a Soros conspiracy. He's here. I don't even know what he's doing to the water chemtrails. Is this what he actually says? Because it makes no sense. Yes. And people love it. It's just putting words together in a sentence. And people love it, yeah. you know. I mean, he's yeah. he's look. Good for people, them. people listen to that. He is sort of. He's pretty entertaining sometimes. Not gonna lie. You're like he's crazy, but it's it's funny to hear. Oh, anyway, but yeah, and Ernest. I mean, look, don't don't. We're just the the jokes with boomers and millennials. We just poke fun on each other. But you know, my parents are the greatest people on earth, and they're boomers. So yeah, that's this is not. It's not. It's not said with anything other than a little bit of poking. Nick Buck, you mentioned a couple shows ago that you like ciders, but are worried about the sugar. Seek out dry cider, which by their nature have far less sugar than those popularized by Angry Orchard, McKenzie's, and Cider Boys. There are many craft and import ciders that have 10 grams of sugar or less. In NYC, you should have plenty of options. Um, I'll check that out. Yeah, because, I mean, I remember I had a, I had a, uh, I met a buddy of mine out in, in California well, a few months ago, and we, uh, we were at a burger joint, and all they had was beer. That's like the only thing. They didn't have any wine. All they had was beer, basically. And they had one kind of cider, and it was a pear cider, and it was delicious. But I'm not kidding. I think it had 100 grams of sugar. Yeah, oh, it was. It was like it was like having multiple. It was like having a you know a coke and a half. It was bad. You could have just drank water. What? Where's the fun in that, producer Mark? Where's the fun I, in that? I'm just saying. Yeah, technically true. I, I should drink more water. Should drink less. Yeah, should drink less of a lot of things and more water. Uh, Mike, hey Buck and producer Mark, when I've had discussions or arguments with people and I have refuted their position, once they realize it, they will inevitably, inevitably resort to name calling. They do this rather than present facts and perspectives to support their position. The popular term these days is racist. If you don't agree with some crazy left wing thought or policy, you're a racist. Just keep this thought in mind the next time you hear a news story and the person speaking uses names to call you uh, to support their position. When you do, you'll know the person saying it doesn't have a leg to stand on. Um, yeah. Um, Mike, it's true. People call you a racist a lot when you don't have when they don't have a real argument. It's a shame, but they do do that. Karen writes, good ear, Buck. The upper Midwest accent and the Canadian accent like Jordan Peterson's are very similar. I'm from the Upper Peninsula of Michigan and lived for many years in Minnesota. When I moved from the uh, to the East Coast, quite a few people asked me if I was from Canada. See, producer Mark, it's all the same up there. It's all yeah, the accents are the same. They sound like oh yeah, they're just like just come in, have some maple syrup and some flapjacks and yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. I I just speechless. Yeah. Just, just, uh, see. I can't see. He's got nothing right now. He knows I'm right. He knows I'm right. I mean, it's like you're from you're from Ottawa. You're from Saginaw. Come on, come on. I don't even know what those are. I don't even know where Saginaw in Michigan is. I just thought of a place that was uh, Ottawa is the capital of Canada. No, I, I know that, yeah. but I'm saying it's they're close. They're and I close. think Saginaw is a Canadian city as well. Is it town? Yeah. Hold on. Hold it doesn't on. Sound like a Michigan thing. Hold on a second. Let me let me get this one right. No, it's Michigan. Is it? Yes. Producer Mark, really? leave the geography to me. All right, everybody. Shields high to you.